0: Well, good morning, Plum Creek. It's great to have all of you with us today. I know we have people watching online. Great to have you with us as well. So I've been on this kick about plants lately. Uh, If you were here on Easter, I talked about kernels of wheat and acorns and the power of seeds. And I know I'm not up here to talk about plants, but I do want to share one thing that I learned this week about giant redwood trees. Uh, Redwood trees are truly amazing. Uh, Their seeds are actually very small, uh, about the size of a tomato seed. But from this tiny seed, uh, these trees can grow around 350 feet tall, the height of a 35-story building. And you would think a tree that tall would need very deep roots, but surprisingly, that's not the case. Redwood tree roots are usually shallow, often no more than five or six feet deep. So how do these trees not blow over in a storm? Well, what these roots lack in depth, they make up for in width. The roots can stretch out over a 100 feet away from the trunk. And here's where it gets really interesting. Redwood trees often grow right next to each other, where the roots can intertwine and even fuse together And that gives them incredible strength against the forces of nature. They can survive huge storms and high winds because redwood trees literally hold each other up. But that's not all. These melded roots also make it possible to share nutrients. When you have two trees right next to each other, they can give nutrients to the other tree. They rely on each other through these rooted connections. Now, a redwood tree by itself wouldn't last very long, but a redwood forest can last a thousand years. Now, I want you to keep that image in your mind because redwoods are a good metaphor for human relationships, because we all need others for support. We need somebody who can give us strength when we're feeling weak. And this metaphor works for all kinds of relationships, but I think that picture of two neighboring trees is especially similar to marriage. In a healthy marriage, a husband and a wife help each other stand strong when storms come. And that strength is even greater when a husband and wife are both followers of Jesus because they're both rooted in Christ, Each one of them draws strength directly from Jesus, and then they share that strength with each other. That's a powerful picture, and it's directly related to what we're talking about today. Last week, we started a series called Don't Give Up. The series is about relationships, and we all know relationships are not always easy. There are plenty of times when uh, we just want to walk away, and we want to give up. But we have a theme verse for this series, it's Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, and I want to read that verse again. The Apostle Paul is writing here to a group of Christians, and he says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So Paul's not disconnected from the real world here. He's like, yes, we all get tired. And I know that it's hard to keep doing the good things that God has called us to do. But hang in there, because if we stick with it, if we stay in the fight, there's going to be something good on the other side. There will be a harvest if we do not give up. Now, this concept applies to lots of different areas of life, but like I said, we're, we're talking about relationships, And we're taking the first two weeks of this series to talk about marriage. And if you happen to miss last Sunday's sermon, I hope you'll go back and get caught up because we talked about some foundational concepts. We looked at the meaning of marriage from God's point of view. And his perspective is what matters because he invented this idea of marriage. For the moment, though, we'll just do a very quick review. I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 5, where we were last week, and let's read just two verses from that passage. Once again, this is the Apostle Paul writing, and in Ephesians 5.31, he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And that's not just Paul speaking here. That's a quote from the book of Genesis where God created the first human beings, Adam and Eve. And from the very beginning, God established this institution where a man and a woman would be united physically and spiritually in a covenant relationship for life. And then thousands of years later, Jesus quotes this same verse. It's from Genesis chapter 2. So, Jesus affirms this original design. He says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So, God's plan is for a husband and a wife to remain as one as long as they both shall live. And then finally, Paul quotes this same verse, and then he goes on to say, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So, In this kind of marriage, it's not really about us. It's not about the husband and the wife. God created marriage to be a mirror of the covenant relationship between Christ and the church. So that means we're not just trying to stay together and be happy. We're trying to show the world how much Christ loves the church. So what does that kind of marriage look like? Well, that's another thing we saw in Ephesians chapter 5. It's the mandate of marriage. You remember what that was? The mandate of marriage is submission and sacrifice. And in some ways, husbands and wives are both required to do both of these things. Uh, Paul begins this passage by saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's mutual submission. But Ephesians chapter 5 also has instructions that are specific to each gender. Uh, For husbands, there's a particular emphasis on sacrifice. For wives, there's a particular emphasis on submission. And yes, either one of those assignments can be very difficult. But when a husband and wife both follow these instructions, they're setting themselves up to be blessed by God. In fact, I can give you a specific example from just this week. On Monday morning, before I left for work, I went to get a cup of coffee. And you should know that my wife, Hannah, and I are serious coffee people. Coffee is not something we take lightly. But on Monday, I poured my coffee, and then I went to get the half and half. And I discovered that it was almost gone. There was only enough for one of us. And I thought to myself... Well, somebody's got to finish this, and it might as well be me. But then I immediately remembered, I just preached on this yesterday. Husbands should sacrifice for their wives. Okay, God, I get it. I'll let her have the creamer. So I didn't use it. But a little while later, after Hannah had gotten her coffee, I went back, and I noticed the half and half was still there. And so I asked her, Why why didn't you take the creamer? And she said, I left it for you. So it was this cool moment where we realized we had both made just a small sacrifice for each other. Now, please know, I am not congratulating myself, because if I hadn't preached on it the day before, I'm sure I would have finished the creamer. But I share that just to say, this stuff works. Submission and sacrifice can strengthen a marriage. Now, your creamer might go bad, but your marriage will get stronger. So today, we're going to take these foundational principles from last week, and we'll put them into practice. This is all about practicing the promise that you made to your spouse. And for those of you who are single, uh, we're going to cover some ideas that apply to all kinds of relationships. So I hope this will be helpful for you, too. And I want to jump back into Ephesians 5 today, but this time we'll focus on just one verse. It's the last verse of this passage on marriage. And I actually didn't read it last week. I saved it for today. So read along with me here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, as you read that verse, what do you notice? First thing that sticks out to me is the fact that we have two different commands here. One for husbands and one for wives. Husbands, you must love your wives. And wives, you must respect your husbands. Do you know why there's a difference here? Well, It's because husbands and wives are different. Uh, Men and women are different in all kinds of ways. For example, I learned something this week. For women, most women, your second longest finger is the one right next to your thumb, your index finger. But it's not the case with men. For most men, your second longest finger is right next to your pinky, your ring finger. And I know what you're doing right now. You're checking your fingers. I did the same thing. Now, that difference in finger lengths, it really doesn't make much difference in everyday life. But there are other differences between men and women that have a huge impact, especially in marriage. For instance, men and women often communicate differently. In most cases, men like to focus on one topic, one task, and women can often talk about multiple topics at the same time. Another common difference is that women enjoy face-to-face conversations, While a lot of men prefer shared activities, Uh, we'd rather do something side-by-side instead of face-to-face. So it is no accident that Paul tells husbands to love their wives, and he tells wives to respect their husbands. Now, is Paul implying that women don't really need respect, or is he implying that men don't really need to be loved? No, not at all. This is just an example of the fact that God knows exactly what we need. And in most cases, the best way to respect a woman is to make her feel loved. And in most cases, the best way to love a man is to show him respect. There's actually some fascinating research to back this up. An author named Shanti Feldhahn published the results of a study where hundreds of men were asked to choose between two bad options. They went to these men and they said, Would you rather feel alone and unloved in the world or would you rather feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone? What do you think those men said? Well, 74% of the guys said, yeah, I could deal with being alone and unloved, but don't leave me disrespected. Don't make me feel inadequate. 74%. It's a pretty high number, isn't it? So for the average man, respect is a very big deal. Uh, Shanti Feldhahn also has similar studies about women, and her studies show that for most women, it's extremely important to know that they are loved, And cherished. So, as we look at some everyday practices that can strengthen your marriage, we need to remember this idea from Scripture. In general, men are looking for respect, and in general, women long to be loved and cherished. Now, last week I said that a strong marriage requires hard work. In order to practice your promise, you have to put in the effort day in and day out. And the truth is, Men don't always gravitate to this kind of work. Men usually gravitate to things that we're good at. We want to feel successful. We want to tackle a challenge and then overcome it. We want to win. And do you know why we want to win? We usually don't talk about this. But underneath that outward confidence, underneath the trash-talking and the toughness, Most men have this deep feeling of insecurity. We compare ourselves with others, and and we're not quite sure we measure up. So when we're good at something, that pushes back the insecurity, at least for a while. And for that reason, men don't always want to sit down and talk about relationships. Relationships are complicated. They get messy. You can't just take an hour and fix everything that's wrong in a relationship. And that's why many of us don't gravitate to these conversations. Now, I don't mention this tendency as an excuse to avoid these conversations. I bring this up to say, women, it may help you to understand where a lot of us men are coming from. And since I'm a guy, I'm coming at this issue from a problem-solving mindset. Here's the problem, and then here are some strategies and ideas that might help us make progress with this problem. So, I'll start with this question. How does a good marriage go bad? Obviously, there's more than one answer to that, but there are often four stages that can lead to separation. Now, the first stage is actually very positive. It's the romance stage, and this is where the man and the woman are both investing a lot in the relationship, and they're having a great time. In stage one, Every day is Valentine's Day. But sooner or later, the couple enters stage two, and we'll call this one reality. This is when those great expectations come crashing down. I can remember finding out that Hannah and I were very different people. Now, when we first started dating, I had this misconception that's kind of funny now. Uh, when we were in this romance stage, I, I almost thought that Hannah was the female version of me <laughs> because we had so much in common. But then later on, I was like, wow, that's not even close <laughs> to being true. Uh, for example, uh, when we sit down to watch TV, I might want to watch a documentary about trench warfare in World War I. But surprisingly, Hannah is never in that mood. She would much rather watch an episode of When Calls the Heart or something like that. And that's just one small example. Over the years, this reality phase has been been a real challenge. There have been plenty of times when we've been frustrated with each other or we've disappointed each other, but everyone who gets married goes through this stage where you look around and you say, this is not what I pictured at all. And the things you used to love about your spouse are the very same things that start to drive you nuts. And if things go unchecked, you might start to look at your spouse and say, You're not the person I thought I married. And that's when you've entered stage three, which is resentment. At this point, the momentum is working towards separation. This is when you see a lack of love, a lack of respect. This is when arguments might turn into yelling matches or or somebody might resort to the silent treatment or you might take some of the attention away from your spouse and put that towards something else or someone else. And if things progress from here, stage four is rebellion. And that's when at least one person in the marriage says, that's it, I'm done with this, I'm out of here. And unfortunately, it can be very natural to move through these four stages. You can go from romance all the way to rebellion without even trying. But here's the big question. Once you've traveled down this road, is it possible to turn around and find your way back? Well, here's the good news. If you're both willing to surrender to God and you're both willing to put in the hard work, It's absolutely possible to find your way back. In Romans chapter 12, there's a command that applies to relationships in general, but it's especially relevant in marriage. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. You see that word devoted. Devoted. That's not some feeling that comes automatically. That's a decision. That's a commitment to do the things that don't come easily. And it's definitely not easy to honor one another above yourselves. So let's get to the solution side of this equation. If you want to prevent or even reverse the four stages of separation, I'm going to give you four habits that can reinforce oneness. You can incorporate each one of these core habits into your everyday life. Some of these habits are fun. Some of them are tough. But we have to start with the most important habit, and that's to love God first and seek Him together. Now, like I said last week, not everyone has a spouse that's willing to do this. And if that's where you are, the best thing you can do is make this decision for yourself. But there's no doubt that the ideal scenario is for the husband and wife both to prioritize God above everything else. That is going to strengthen your marriage in a profound way. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Basically, if God is your top priority lots of other things will start falling into place. But uh, what does it mean to seek God first? What does that look like in a marriage? Does that mean that you sit down together and have a little Bible study and a prayer time every night? Well, not necessarily. Hannah and I certainly don't do that. But it does mean that somehow you'll find practical ways to pursue God in your everyday life. This does mean that somehow... You will incorporate prayer and scripture and faith and obedience through your entire life together. Now, I want to be completely honest here, maybe painfully honest. In most cases, or maybe a lot of cases, women have an advantage in this area. Women are often more willing to talk about spiritual things. I mean, seriously. Imagine a wife going to her husband and saying, hey, let's read a few verses in the Bible and talk about it. Or or saying, hey, can we pray about this issue right now? A lot of men are going to be like, you know what? That sounds awkward. It sounds a little boring. And I had a different plan for what we might do tonight, and I think my idea sounds better than yours. But men, I want to share a simple step That you can take in this direction. It's a bold step, and it may not come easy. Sometime this week, I challenge you to pray with your wife. A few years ago, a group called Family Life did a study of more than a thousand couples who called themselves Christians, and you know what they found? They found that fewer than eight percent of those couples prayed together on a regular basis. That's a very low number, and that tells me that a lot of us are uncomfortable with prayer for one reason or another, and maybe we're not sure that prayer makes a difference, but I've got to tell you, prayer does make a difference, because here's the other part of that study. Out of those few couples that prayed together, Family Life found that less than 1% got divorced. So, yeah. We need to start with this habit of loving God first. Everything else flows from that. Now, if praying with your spouse seems intimidating or awkward, we can take care of that right here, right now. Uh, Husbands, if you are willing to pray with your spouse, your wife, you can start here. Three simple things to pray. Thank you for her. Bless her. And help her just finish each one of those pra- phrases uh, talk to god from the heart uh, you could say god thank you for the way my wife is so patient with me or, thank you for the way she loves our kids whatever you would say and, and then you can go on and say god bless her right now give her joy give her peace and then god help her Help her with that interview she has coming up. Help her deal with that difficult person in her life, whatever it is. Now, this prayer doesn't have to be long. In fact, shorter may be better. But I really want to give you this challenge. Let's bump up that 8% number. At the very least, let your wife know that you are praying specifically for her. So that's the first habit. And here's habit number two. Make it a priority to have serious fun together. Schedule regular date nights. And on some of those dates, do what he likes to do. On other dates, do what she likes to do. And and you can just keep it simple. Go for walks, grab some coffee, pick up some tacos. And you also want to prioritize physical intimacy. That is super important. But you don't need me to plan this out for you. Just remember the things you did back in that romance stage and just do some of those same things again. Okay, let's look at habit three. And this goes back to that verse we read earlier. Habit number three is to show unconditional love and respect to each other, just like Jesus has shown to you. Husbands, if you're going to do this successfully, you need to become a student of what makes your wife feel loved. This is how you can be a Christ-like servant to her. For example, do you know what her love language is? Uh, There's a well-known book called The Five Love Languages, and if you've never read that, pick it up and learn about your wife. What is her love language? Is it sincere words of affirmation? Or does she really appreciate a thoughtful gift? Or maybe she responds to the kind of physical touch that makes her feel affirmed and cared for. Or does she love it when you serve her, uh, maybe go out of the way to do the dishes or something like that? Or is her love language just spending quality time together? The bottom line is, when a husband wants to love his wife with the love of Jesus, the question is, what will make her feel loved? and cherished if she doesn't feel cherished it's time to do some homework and then take action now i know that i need to work on this myself so guys feel free to ask me how i'm doing but what about the wives well let's go back to that need for respect and here's a step that you might take you can make the decision to think more highly and speak more highly of your husband both to his face and to others. Now, I don't want to be that guy telling women what to do and how to do it, so I found a good strategy from Shanti Feldhahn, the woman I talked about earlier. She recommends something called the 30-Day Kindness Challenge, and here's how it works. Shanti says, for the next 30 days, wives, don't say anything negative about your husband either to him directly or to someone else. Not your mom, not your best friend, no one. And second, every day for the next 30 days, find something positive, at least one thing positive every day that you can praise him for. And then tell him what it is and also tell someone else. Third, Do one small act of kindness or generosity every day. And this is extremely important because our feelings follow our words and our actions. Shanti says, the more you focus on what you're dissatisfied with, the more dissatisfied you will be. But the more you focus on the positive, the more you'll see those things that are truly wonderful about your husband the more you will, in fact, respect him. Now, I do need to reiterate what I said last week. If your husband is the opposite of loving, if he's abusing you and your marriage is not a safe place, that's a different story. I encourage you to step away from that situation and reach out and get some help. But in most cases, we're just flawed, imperfect people trying to learn how to love and respect each other. And that requires grace. It requires forgiveness. It's that principle from Ephesians 4.32 which says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How much? Just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, I have one final habit for you, and I won't say much about this one, but it's crucial. Habit number four is to keep the end in mind. In the big picture, this life is temporary. We have this small window where we're making decisions that will echo in eternity. And the reality is, marriage is not about us. Marriage is not uh, uh, really about the husband and wife. It's an opportunity to bring glory to God by reflecting the love of Christ. We can serve and love and show respect and forgive each other in a way that points others to Jesus. And when we do that, our marriage achieves a higher purpose than our own happiness. But it's an amazing thing. When we seek God first, we often get happiness thrown in as a bonus. I want to close with a story I heard about a real-life couple. The husband's name is Tom, and Tom knew that his marriage was in trouble. Uh, There wasn't some big crisis. It wasn't anything like that. Uh, Tom and his wife just drifted apart, and their marriage seemed lifeless. But they kept going. Uh, They stayed together, just going through the motions. And at one point, they decided to go on a vacation to the beach, And there was a day on that vacation when Tom went for a drive. He was kind of bummed, kind of sad, because it didn't seem like this vacation was helping their marriage at all. But on that drive, Tom flipped to a radio station. And there happened to be a preacher talking about the same passage we've been looking at here. Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husband. And as Tom listened, he thought to himself, I haven't been doing that. I haven't gone out of my way to make my wife feel loved and cherished. So when he got back, he decided, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to try to love my wife well. And so the next day, instead of watching TV, Tom suggested that the two of them go for a walk. And they did. And they ended up having a really good conversation. And then, for the next few days, Tom tried to help out more, cleaning things up, just taking care of little tasks. He tried to be thoughtful and considerate. And it wasn't long before he noticed something changing inside of him. He he felt like someone is helping me, giving me the power to do these things and serve my wife. He also saw that this action seemed to be having an effect on her her heart seemed to soften. And he saw this cycle starting to work. He saw that the more he loved his wife, the more she said things and did things that made him feel respected. Well, after that vacation, they got back home, and he decided to just keep going with this because he was in the habit now. And... uh, it started to feel like a whole new relationship, a new marriage. But then about four weeks later, one morning, Tom found his wife sitting on the edge of the bed, and she was just staring out with this sort of sad, blank look on her face. And Tom walked up to her, and he said, Honey, what's wrong? And she said, Do you remember that doctor's appointment I had before our vacation? And Tom said, yeah, uh, I do. It, It was just a normal checkup. No big deal, right? And his wife looked at him and she said, is there something you know that you're not telling me? And he said, babe, what are you talking about? And she said, you've been so good to me these past few weeks. Am I dying? And he said, no, honey. You're not dying. I'm just finally learning how to live. And I hope that story inspires us to live well. Husbands, wives, do this together. Make the commitment to show each other love and respect. Decide together that you will be rooted in Christ and that you will support each other and give strength to each other. Serve each other. Make it a habit to submit and to sacrifice and build the kind of marriage that brings glory to God. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can give the world a picture of just how much Christ loves the church. Yes, it's not always easy, and it does require hard work. But at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of human relationships, for the love that we can have with each other. I thank you for the gift of marriage. And most of all, I thank you for the relationship that you offer for us to to know you and love you. Thank you for the, the opportunity to be restored and forgiven because of what Jesus did. And Lord, help us to honor you in the way that we live, in the way that we treat other people, for those of us who are married, for the way we treat our spouse. Lord, we need your help to do this. We need the power of your Holy Spirit working in us. And I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.